Okay. All right. Well, when I was 12 years old, I found out that both of my parents were addicted to heroin. I had my, you know, my assumptions before because of seeing the weird activities and everything. But when I was 12 is when I actually found out. Um, they ended up moving to Chicago without even letting me know. And my brother was already moved out of the house because he was sick of it. I had three older, older brothers, and they were all out of the house at this time. Um, and about... I don't know. I'd say I was. I stayed there for about three weeks, not really knowing what's going, what was going on. I was a good kid. Still went to school. Still got up. Did everything I needed to do. Um, and then the electricity went out, and my friend's parents took me in, and I lived with with them for a while. Um, her mom, my friend's mom, ended up becoming like my mom. She got all the rights to me and and everything, and. I was doing good there. Um, parents came back about 10 months later. You know, I feel like everything was fine, but I wasn't going to move back in with them. I knew better at that point. What's up? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. I'm your host, Sean Dustin. If this is your first episode, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Glad you're here. First off, I just want to say thank you to the listeners that uh, have reviewed this show. Uh, there's a couple new ones on the iTunes review. Uh, appreciate it. You know, it's nice to know that the content and what I'm creating is uh, reaching people and, and you're appreciating it. So, Thanks again. Not much to update other than I started a jujitsu class yesterday. Pretty sore today. It was a completely different experience than going to a regular uh, weightlifting uh, aerobic type gym. You know, those those places can be kind of intimidating when you first go in. Uh, you know, hot chicks running around, big super buff dudes uh, lifting weights. Not that I'm a small guy, but... It's still intimidating. You don't know anybody, uh, and most people don't talk to you unless you approach them. But this was 100% different. Uh, from the moment I walked in, everybody was really welcoming, very inviting, introducing themselves. Hey, how you doing? Glad you're here. My name's so and so. Uh, you know, if you need anything, just, uh, you know, don't, don't be afraid to ask. You know, we were all new at one point. So, you know, don't, don't be intimidated. Just, don't be afraid to ask any questions. And that was very different from what I'm used to. So I, I didn't even get a chance to be intimidated. So I appreciated that. And it was a hell of a workout. I mean, for one hour, uh, in, uh, what was it? It was a warm up, instruction, and then practice. I was super soaked with sweat by the time I was done. I mean, literally wetter than I've ever been at any gym lifting weights or doing a 45 minute cardio class. Not to mention that every part of my every muscle in my body is is sore right now. So it was a very good class. Uh if anybody out there has ever thought about doing jiu-jitsu or pondered it, try it. 
you you never know. You may like it. I did. And I plan on going back. So in this episode today, uh, we're going to talk to Amber. Uh, she is an addict, uh, struggled with pain pills. I believe it was Suboxone and uh, Vicodin. And at one point, you know, just whatever she could get a hold of, she couldn't get a hold of that. Uh, but the more interesting thing about this interview is that Amber's parents were both heroin addicts when she was growing up uh, and disappeared when she was 12, uh, went to cop some heroin in Chicago and uh, never came back. They came back at some point, but I mean, it wasn't until 10 months later. And uh, yeah, that's crazy. We got a good one here for you. The audio isn't uh, the best. It was a phone interview, so... Sorry, but it was still a good story. Uh, there's a couple choppy parts in there. Uh, other other than that, it's a great story. And uh, for anybody out there that's struggling with uh, pain pills, I had at one point, you'll get something out of this. And even if you haven't, you're going to get something out of this. Without further ado, let's uh, let's get to Amber. So why don't you go ahead and... Uh and and tell the audience a little bit about your about, about you your story and uh you know what what brought you to want to uh come onto this show and and speak your truth okay all right well when i was 12 years old i found out that both of my parents were addicted to heroin i had my you know my assumptions before because of seeing the weird activities and everything, but when I was 12 is when I actually found out. Um, they ended up moving to Chicago without even letting me know, and my brother was already moved out of the house because he was sick of it. I had three older, older brothers, and they were all out of the house at this time. Um, and about, I don't know, I'd say I, would, I stayed there for about three weeks not really knowing what's going, what was going on. I was a good kid, still went to school, still got up, did everything I needed to do. Um, and then the electricity went out, and my friend's parents took me in, and I lived with, with them for a while. Um, her mom, my friend's mom, ended up becoming like my mom. She got all the rights to me and, and everything, and so I was doing good there. Um, parents came back about 10 months later. You know, I feel like everything was fine, but I wasn't going to move back in with them. I knew better at that point. And then... So let me let me uh, stop you right there. So your your parents just up and bounced on you? Like just one day they, they decided they were going to go somewhere to get some heroin and hook up and they never came back? No, no, I didn't know. I didn't know that's what they were doing. My dad, he liked to, to scrap and he would make trips to Chicago all the time. I thought it was because he used to like get these pellets and it would, he would make more money in Chicago. Turns out that was all a big lie. It was just heroin was cheaper in Chicago um, or easier to get one of the two. How old um, were you? Yeah. 12. So 12 years That's old. That's when everything, yeah. So 12 years old and, and all, my, and all they, my brothers moved out. I was by myself. And were they were they renting or like did you did they did you get like an eviction notice or anything like that? I know the the electricity went out, but I mean, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't I don't know how far it went. I, I know that they never went back to the house, and the electricity, I mean, got shut off, and then the water got shut off, and then I had to leave. And that's when my, my friends... My friend's parents didn't even know what was really going on until I was like, hey, I'm hungry, you know, like, I need I need somewhere to go. So, and they took me in, and they were great. They were fantastic. Uh, they really, really helped me through. But then I started partying, drinking alcohol, sneaking out, you know, doing that whole teenage thing. Um... So you started to rebel a little bit then, right? Yeah, yeah. I was angry, and I was I, I thought that, you know, I could do this and I could do that, and I'll, I'll never be like them. I thought I was exempt from becoming addicted because I was so angry at them. You know what I mean? Yeah, so when they came yeah, back... I had that power, but I didn't. Yeah, yeah. So when they came back, they just, like, acted like nothing, nothing you know, like, like most addicts do. Like, what? You got a problem? Right. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. What did I do? I, back, I, my I, dad was like, "Come back home with me. Come back home." And I was like, "No, I, I can't. I'm sorry. Well, it won't be like that anymore. It won't, you know." And the whole flu. But I mean, my my father, he died an addict, so it never got better. Um, he ended up getting cancer and was on his deathbed still using. I mean, I guess at that point, I mean, I don't know, but once he passed away, my mom had no way to have a job or anything, so she ended up getting clean, withdrawing all by herself and dealing with the loss of her husband, and she's doing fantastic now. It's amazing. It really is. Okay, we'll get back to her in a second. All right, so what about you? You started partying, you started rebelling, you uh, were angry. Yeah. You and I, I know, I know what all those feelings are, man. I've I've been through that myself. Mm-hmm. Anger is was one of my go to uh, defenses always. Right. Yeah, I was. I couldn't understand why, how they could do that to me. You know, knowing that I was alone, twelve knowing that everything was going to get shut off, you know, and not explaining themselves ever. You know, it it took until, I don't know, maybe a year after my dad was diagnosed with cancer for him to formally apologize to me and admit to everything. Did that help? That that drug is so powerful. It kind of did. I mean, at that point when he apologized, I was going through my own uh, pill addiction. And I think... It helped me to realize how hard it is and how withdrawals feel, you know, and kind of put it in perspective for me to to understand where they were where they were coming from. Not that it was right or anything like that. Just like it was a way to help you sort of for, make sense of it, right? Right. Yeah. It's like, oh wow, it's really not easy. You know, it's not something you could just control, and it's it's. It was. It kind of made it better, knowing that it's like, you know, I, I get it, Dad, and I forgive you, and I'm glad. I'm glad that we had that talk. It, it did help. It did help. Well, that's good. I mean, it, it. I mean, nobody really can tell. Nobody really understands what the life of an addict is like until you've walked in their shoes. You know, I mean, it's exactly. easy. It's easy for us to say, oh, well, it's so easy to stop that. You can just stop. Why can't you just stop? You know what I mean? And it's like, all right, right. well, 
there's no answer for that. I mean, you you stop when you're ready to stop. Yeah, really. It's not easy. Yeah, so how long did you uh how long were you on on pills before uh you stopped and then what was your um your daily your daily dose was cuz mine I was probably up around it would depend. I'd get like 120 pills a month and at my worst I was buying an extra 100 so I would you know be at like 250 and sometimes I would just, you know, go buck and 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 take a, a bunch of them, but most of the time I, you know, I knew when I was starting to come down or get towards my you know how you maneuver your script, you're like, "All right, well, I know I got X amount of pills and I got this long until my refill yeah. and, it, and it just starts to consume your whole life. And like you're just, you're, you're every, oh, yeah. your every like move is revolving around, you know, these pills and how many you take. Oh shit. Well, yeah. I got to keep some in my system. So I better cut my dose in half. It was such a, such a, ugh, I don't know. When I think back about it. I'm like, God, how did I, how did I let something control me like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was the same exact way. It started with me after I gave birth to my child in 2009. Shortly after that, I had to get my wisdom teeth cut out. They were all impacted and causing me a great deal of pain. And that's when I had the first Vicodin. And I loved it. I mean, I I was like, wow, you know, I can, I'm not fucking tired anymore. Sorry. But, you know, and I felt like I had all this energy and whatever. I never got that, you know, like that sleepy, dozy feeling it gave me energy it gave me it felt like a power just to to be the best mom ever in reality it was the worst choice ever but i i wasn't you know i was able to stay up late and because i was i was raising her by myself i lived with her father but you know he was young and dumb and he was still out drinking and and then i uh, was introduced to tramadol i don't know if you know what that is but Back then, it was known as the non-addictive painkiller. Um, just recently, they moved it up to a narcotic, um, and I was taking uh, four at a time, and then that turned into eight. And I had a, a prescription for 240 pills a month, and I would run out in a week. It was awful. Uh, I was on that medicine for eight years, something like that, because my daughter's nine now. So close to eight years. And it's crazy. The doctor just kept giving them to me and kept giving them to me. And I, I actually went to the doctor and said, hey, you know, I'm addicted to these things. And I was having other health issues at the time. I was migraines and back pain. And he just like, well, these are safe, so keep taking these. Oh, that was that's such a lie. Because not only is it an opiate, it is, acts like an antidepressant as well. So when I had to stop taking it, it was like it was withdrawing from two things at once. You know what I mean? So it was it was just so awful. Whenever I was without, that I would go and get whatever I could to make it better. I mean, spending $600 every two weeks, it was all, the whole paycheck was going straight to Vicodins and Percocets, whatever I could get. I mean, eventually it turned into like Oxycontins and Adderall when when there was absolutely nothing left and that it was just it was an awful awful addiction it took over everything I was lying I was stealing I was trying to manipulate everybody and then my the my daughter's father ended up becoming addicted to the pills as well 
And so that just got way out of work, like way out of control. He was doing my prescription every month, and I would run out even faster. And we were both just in it real, real bad for a long time. And we ruined a lot of relationships doing it because of the lying and the asking for, to borrow money and everything. So it was, it was a sad time. Yeah, it's funny how that stuff doesn't have any shame, right? You know, when you need it, you need it, and you don't really care how you get it or who you have to hurt to or lie to to, you know, get what you need. It's crazy. So yeah. what was the turning point for you? Well, for a while, I, for about a couple of months after I actually stopped, I, I was just feeling like I was ruining my daughter's life, and I wasn't fun for her, you know. I was always worried about uh, how much pills I had left and I couldn't go do things with her because I never had money to do anything, you know, and and I, she wasn't having a great life. And then we we lived with Ian. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to use names. Her father's sister. She um she had a brain injury. She we had you know we had to take care of her and help her. She had seizures, and one one night she just had a seizure and she never woke up. She was. 32 years old and after that happened it was like hey we gotta stop because we're not promised tomorrow you know and it just it was an eye-opener I mean and I've lost so many people I mean I don't know why it was her maybe it's because we lived with her I, I don't know what but I lost my dad I lost my grandmother I lost my grandfather and I lost my brother he actually wasn't addicted to anything he ended up getting the same cancer my dad did and I lost my like I lost my aunt and I lost the person that took me in when I was 12 years old and after losing everybody and then losing her I just I just realized that my main goal is to give my daughter the life that she deserves and it was just one day I was like okay I'm done I can't do it anymore and I don't know what came over. I don't know if it's a higher power or I, I don't know. But I dealt with it, and I haven't went back since. It's been about six or seven months, and it's incredible. <laughs> it's amazing to have money again and and not have something, you know, control you and have people start trusting you again. And I actually gained a lot of weight, but oh well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> healthy again. And it's just, it's great. I really feel like in some way I was supposed to go through that addiction and I was supposed to realize what it's like and how hard it is so that I could forgive my parents and and understand and not hold, you know, a grudge and, and my, you know, I could forgive my father before he passed away. And we got super close. I mean, really, we talked every single night, and when he died, it was it was the hardest thing I have ever went through, but I think it was all kind of like meant to be in some sort of way i don't I don't know if it makes sense, but in a way, I'm glad that I went through that, and I feel like I'm stronger because of it, and I can understand other people who you know are going through it and, and try to say, hey, you know i I do know what it's like. I'm not just some person that's like, hey, you need to stop. Well, if you wanted to stop, you could stop. It's not that, you know, you could want it all you want, but it doesn't 
it can't happen until you have the help and you have something that awakens you or whenever the drugs stop using you and then that's when you can stop, you know? Yeah. There's no, there's no clear path or, or, I mean, there's, there's ideas and, you know, we have a better grasp on, on what addiction is, but you know, that, that one piece that just flips the switch in your brain and just makes you like, okay, I don't, I, I'm good. I don't, I don't need it anymore. I mean, of course you need some other things as well. I mean, I started when I, uh, stopped using before I was even like when I stopped using opiates, I just did it on my own. I just made a conscious decision like, Hey, this is, you know, bullshit. You're, you're, you know, you went through addictions with all of these other things, cocaine with, with, uh, methamphetamines with, you know, you name it. If I was selling it, I was doing it. And you know, I was, I was addicted to it at the time. So I just switched one for the other, for the other, for the other, for the other. But when I, when I first got, got clean, you know, I used, uh, AA, um, as a 12 step program. And, you know, I got my footing there. Uh, but when, you know, when I got about, God, it must've been, I would say probably four years later, I ended up getting hooked on, on, uh, pills and that lasted for about seven years. So, and that's when I, I stopped, I stopped that one on my own, which was basically, I used, uh, how did I stop? I, I just cut my dose down from like maybe 15 pills a day. I went to like seven, uh, for a week. Then I cut it in half of that for another week. And I just weaned it all the way down to where I was only taking half a pill. And then, uh, from that point I used, uh, edible marijuana to kind of mm-hmm. kill the rest of the, you know, that, that feeling in your stomach that you feel like you're going to be sick or the, that, like that knot oh, that's, yeah. that's in the center of your stomach. Yeah, that that it wasn't as bad by weaning off, but it was still there. So the taking the uh, the, right, yeah. the edible THC just kind of you know transitioned it a lot smoother, and then mm-hmm. and then that was it. And I haven't looked back since. You know, but, well, a big part of right. it was is I was, you know, I don't, you can't. I don't. I didn't want to uh, start doing this podcast and talking about this kind of stuff. And like I'm still you know getting a prescription of 120 pills. So I was like, well, you, if you're going to do this podcast, you're going to, you're going to have to stop. And so it was about like a year and a half ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, it, uh, did you use, uh, uh, sorry about that. Did you, are, did, are you in the program at all or do you just use the Facebook groups as a uh, soundboard and kind of, you know, where you vent there? Yep. I just, I just found a support group and that's all I, I, I did. I didn't have any, pills to wean so i just did it cold turkey the only thing that i did have was i had a prescription for an antidepressant um and i took that for about three weeks and i i think it helped a little bit because whenever i would stop taking the tramadol the thoughts of suicide and the, the i mean i would just cry and cry and it would it was it was awful. On top of feeling that awful, just being nonstop crying, screaming, punching, you know, sitting on the bathroom floor and you know in the bathtub, just having hot water. Like it was it was such a dark time, and I feel like the antidepressants helped a little bit of that. So I I didn't wean off any um, pain pills, but I used an antidepressant. I I think it helped, but. 
I don't know. Like I said, the tramadol acts like an antidepressant. They didn't really know a lot about the prescription when they prescribed it to me eight years ago, and they're finding out all these horrible things of that little devil pill. <laughs> I, I cannot believe it, but I have a new doctor now. He was he wasn't a good doctor, <laughs> so um, and and I'm trying to just move forward and save money and try to get my life back on track and try to get it moving. I was really just stuck in one place for for so long, and I'm finally moving up. It, it feels wonderful, you know. And when my dad was sick, they were prescribing him methadone and because uh, they knew about his heroin addiction he was doing both and you know it didn't never stop him but and they prescribed him oxy cotton and stuff and there was a point where i was going to my dad and asking him for pills i mean isn't that crazy from watching them walk out on me because of drugs and then i'm sitting there at their new house and trying to get pills off of him that is just that's wild to me looking back on it I mean, we were, I never used heroin, but I don't know if it's any, any better, but I was taking whatever I could, whatever I, whatever I could get. I wouldn't do heroin. That was the only thing I wouldn't do, but. Yeah, I used that one. It just proved to me that anybody can become addicted. It doesn't matter how much you hate something or how much you think that you can't become addicted. That, oh, I can take this one pill and I'll be fine. Oh, I can take that and. I'll be able to stop whenever I want. That is not true for anybody. And I just, I feel like I want to get that out there as much as I can for the young population. You know, you're just, you're never exempt. It can happen to anybody. So what what part of the uh, country are you in? Uh, I'm in Indiana. Indiana. Okay. So. Corn, corn, corn. <laughs> 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 yeah, that. Uh, yeah, Indiana. Yeah, the pharmaceutical industry is definitely the devil. Um, you know, they, they, too many times they put, they roll something out and then, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later, oh yeah, that's not very good. You know, then they come out with another study that, you know, tells you all the bad shit that's, that's, you know, that they, that they rolled out. That's crazy, man. It's so frustrating. Every, the, the, don't get me started on, on this, this road. Because every time I, you know, when it comes to pharmaceuticals, uh, the oil, anything that's that's a huge corporation, it's just it's just always a problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then it was turning into where like I wasn't able to get my prescription with my insurance. My insurance was like, no, you can't have this. You have to have prior authorization. And every time I went to the pharmacy to pick up my prescription, it was a big mess. And I ended up paying out of pocket most of the time, which for 240 pills, it was like $200, you know, and then it would be gone in like four days. It's like, why? Like, how did I take all of those? But I, I did. And Michelle's father, he ended up taking so many one time that he had a seizure from it. Like, it was, that was, that was crazy. And that, that happened. And then about two weeks after he had the seizure, his sister died from a seizure, and I, I feel like that was all like, okay, no more, we're done. You know, it was just like, it, it was just, it's insane. I mean, taking nine pills a day. I mean, I would take ten, and then I would take maybe another ten two hours later, and then I would take another like eight, and then 
10, and, you know, I mean, I probably got up to about eight a day, somewhere around there. Yeah, that's that, that's crazy, man. I talked to uh, somebody from, I think it was episode, I want to say eight, and she was up to like 40 to 60 a day, and I thought that was a lot. Jesus, 90? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, because Tramadol's not, it's not a very strong opiate, you know, but still, that's a lot of, not a lot of, a lot of pills. Yeah, well, not even that, I mean, the, 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 the bonding the agent that goes into those pills. I mean, you know, who knows what's in, in that as well. Right. Yeah. I know. It's just, it was awful. So your health is good now. I mean, you know, you, cause I know when I stopped, um, with the regular drugs, like meth, it took me about two years to, to finally for my serotonin levels and everything else to kind of level out. Um, I didn't experience a whole lot with the, uh, uh, with the opiates other than, you know, once the sickness went away, it was probably about, I don't know, maybe a week, two weeks. And then after a couple of months, I just, I felt fine again. Yeah. Um, for me to start feeling better, like the physical withdrawals that took almost two weeks and it was, it was awful. And then the mental stuff. I mean, I just started getting my mental part, right. I was pretty depressed for a while from everything that I I did and and I noticed sometimes too like I'll just be I'll be in the kitchen cooking and I'll get a certain smell and it will flood my mind with these memories of going to get drugs and taking drugs and then the seizure and then you know it's like a flashback like a and I get all anxiety riddled and I I get really sad you know and like and then I see my daughter's face and it just it breaks my heart and then I move on and then we'll be driving down the road and it'll happen again. It's like little flashbacks keep happening, but I, I do feel better mentally than I did. I would say a month ago. It's I've came a long way cause I'm finally having, you know, money come in and my daughter being proud and my husband being well. And it was a scary time and it took a while to get. I mean, I was on that medicine for eight years. Who knows what my liver looks like now? I don't know. But my mother, she was just diagnosed with hepatitis C. She, she just started getting her life back on track. I mean, after my dad passed away, she was sick and miserable and didn't really come out of her house for three or four months. She had some methadone left. She weaned her herself down, and that's how she bared the pain. And then it took her a while to to get a job and then get a car and then get a house. And then she started drinking and she lost everything again. And now she lives in Ohio and she's wonderful there. She's a manager at her job. She's got a car. She's got a house. And she's just going to stay in Ohio where she doesn't know where anything is and she can't get to it. You know, I miss her and it kind of sucks that, you know, I finally have my mom and she's four hours away, but. I want her to be happy and healthy, so it's okay. Luckily, the Internet makes this world a whole lot smaller these days. Yeah, like, thank you for FaceTiming me every night. We do talk every night now, and it's it's awesome to be able to speak to my mom. And we can share our experiences, you know, and talk about it and can make us, you know, feel better. Whenever I get one of those flashbacks, I call her, and I'm like, Mom, you know, I just can't believe that. She was, I know I can't believe but all the things I've done. She's done a lot more crazier stuff than I've ever done. But, 
you know, they were addicts for since I was 12, and then my dad passed away four years ago. So, I don't know. They were addicts for like 12 years, heroin, all day, every day. I remember when I was younger, before I actually knew that it was heroin, I was riding in the car with my mom, and she started to fall asleep at the wheel, and I didn't, I was very young, I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, well, that's weird, you know, mom, and she'd snap back out of it. And there's all kinds of stories from when I was little that I can make that connection. Oh, that's why that, that was like that. And there was one time where they had friends over, and I found the bag of needles and the actual heroin. I wasn't sure. I mean, I was really young at that point. I wasn't sure that's what it was, but I was getting ready to go to my friend's house to stay the night. She lives by a river. So I took the bag with me, and my mom was taking me to my friend's house, and she she asked me if she could go through my bag. Like, she already knew it was missing. And she's like, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, oh, I was going to go throw it in the river. And she's like, no, that's not mine. I was like, yeah, yes, it was. <laughs> I get that now. My mom overdosed, too, and I was the only one home. She she had to do some jail time. She stole money from her job. She lost her job. Cops came and got her in the middle of the night. She did six six weeks in jail. Came out. She did heroin that night, and she overdosed. And I was the only one home because my dad was out doing whatever. I don't know what. We didn't have a phone. You know, we never had money. They, I, I didn't. There was nothing for me to do, and there wasn't a neighbor close by. And I could hear her gasping for air. And the door was the bathroom door was locked, and I couldn't beat it down. And I did, I just ended up laying there on the floor, and I didn't know. And then my dad walked in, and he called the ambulance, and you know she didn't pass away, obviously, but that that messed with me for a very, very long time, and it took me a long, long, long time for me to forgive her for that. That was that was a lot to do with at that young. Wow, that's I mean, a everything happens for a reason, and she's good now. And I mean, my dad's up somewhere chilling. I don't know. Well, that's quite a story. Yeah, I'm getting calling. Yeah, it's it's a lot. I feel like I should write a book and, you know, have like a whole, like all the details from beginning to ending and, and everything. It's just I don't even know where to start. <laughs> that sounds like I'm, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place with you right now. That That's how my mind is. It's like over here and over there. And it's like there's just so many little stories to make up this big, gigantic story. I mean, I could just go on for days. I'm going through the same thing right now myself. Um, and I, for me, uh, I've been talking to quite a few people. I've talked to some life coaches because I, you know, through the process of interviewing people and, and some of the things that I'm struggling with, I'll throw that in there into the interview and, and, you know, see what kind of feedback I get from them. And what I tend to do is I look at the end instead of the beginning. And so I get caught mm-hmm. up in how how far away the goal is instead of just doing the little things in the beginning to get yourself going and into the process itself. And then once you get into that process, everything becomes a lot easier. Then you know what your next step is going to be right. and the next step and the next step. But it's about not looking so far ahead that it clouds everything and makes it look like such a huge accomplishment to have to uh, or a huge undertaking to have to do. So what I'm going to start doing, because I want to write a book as well, is going to be more like, you know, just take one story at a time, write it down, 
or, you know, right. whatever it is you need to do. So just start to, you know, one day say, all right, well, I'm going to write a story a day about, you know, each of these little stories. Cause I have a ton of those too. Like I can go through the whole day and start thinking about things or, or, and, and one will pop up or another one will pop up. And sometimes when I think about it, they don't pop up. It's certain people or certain conversations that I get into trigger, trigger memories, which pull up one of those yeah. stories. So it's just a matter of, of pulling them out, writing them down each, each individual one, and then putting them all together once you feel like you have enough to make a book and then finding somebody right. to ghostwrite that for you or, um, you know, you write it yourself, but I mean, you got to figure out, you know, there's the whole business side of that that you got to, you know, kind of figure out too. But the, the main thing is, is getting the actual content onto paper and having it something tangible to turn into a book. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's like I, I get the piece of paper and then now my life is so, so crazy. I babysit. That's what I do. I watch kids and my husband, he works a, you know, nine to five job. And so I got kids all over the place. And then I take care of my husband's mother because she's a severe diabetic and she can't live on her own. She can't do basic things on her own. She can't feed herself, you know, stuff like that. So I'm, you know, like a nurse and I'm a full-time mother and I'm a babysitter. So that's why it has to be so late for me. It's because I, I don't stop. Once I wake up, I don't stop until everybody else is asleep and everybody else is fine and taken care of and and that that's why I was like, okay, as, as late as possible, it's, it's better for me because, I mean, it was just go, 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 which I kind of like because it keeps me busy. You know, it doesn't, I don't want, I don't want my mind to, to go down that dark path and start thinking about things. And, and I realized too, like, I think or any of that makes me disgusted of myself. Like, before when I was taking it, I thought about the pills, all I could think about was feeling better. And I thought that that was my normal. You know, that was, I had to take that pill to be functional. And I never thought being pill-free could feel like this. And it's crazy because there was a time before the pills, you know. But when you're an active addiction, you forget about that. It's completely just gone out the window. When you're full blown an addict, you know it's just all it all takes over, and I, I mean, like I said, that's why I feel like I, I'm grateful for my addiction in a way. I, it sucked. I'm not saying it was you know fun or anything, but I feel like I'm a better person now, and I can give more, and I can understand more, and I can take more, you know. You know, everything now, I have a positive outlook, and I try, no matter what, oh, we're short on money, well, it's okay, at least we have food on the table. Everything that I do in my daily life now, it is always me thinking of the positive side, the brighter side, the, at least we have each other, you know, whatever it is. That's kind of how I've coped with all this, just being positive and training my brain to be positive instead of always focusing on the negative stuff and, you know, oh, that didn't work out, you know, let's go cry about it. No, well, you know, maybe it didn't happen for a reason, you know, I just, I keep positive, I keep busy, and it's worked so far, so. Yeah, that's great. I don't I mean, have any intentions on going back. Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, I even told my new doctor I was, I could become addicted easily, 
and, you know, I actually had to get dental work done, and I was like, okay, guys, I don't want anything, you know, I'll just take ibuprofen, like, I don't care, I'll deal with the pain, because I don't want to put anything like that in my mouth ever again, because I feel like I'd be right back to it. Yeah, it doesn't Not take much. I myself in that situation, like... Yeah, I know. The one thing yeah. that you were you were talking about that I really identified with was um, where you would have thoughts or, or a smell would bring back uh, certain memories. So for like the first two years when I stopped using meth, um, I couldn't listen to the radio in my car when I was driving because it would yeah. br- it would bring back like certain certain music and certain songs would bring back. Uh, just memories of me being in my truck driving with the, you know, with the windows down and the, and the music really loud. And, you know, that just so many memories would flood in that I just stopped listening to the radio altogether. And I just started listening to talk radio. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, my husband, he actually still doesn't listen to the radio. Every time we're in the car, it's just silence. Or he has his talk sports show or whatever, but. No music, no music. I actually feel like I heal through music. I love just to be able to listen to the music. And like most of my childhood, that's all I did. I was always the kid with the, you know, the earbuds in listening to music. And that's all I did. And I would write all the time and write poetry and little stories. And while I was addicted to pills, I realized I never did any of that. I never listened to music just to enjoy it. I never wrote down poems and and read book. Like I just lost all joy of life, you know. And the only time I was happy is when I was high. And it's just not a life I want to live. So a lot of bad things happened, but it's good that they did. I, I wish that she didn't die, but I feel like it was unnecessary you know, thing to, to wake us up. Yeah, that's I mean, great, man. Dearly. I took care of her, you know, she, she had a brain injury. She was, I mean, that was, you know, my, my other child, you know. Well, I want to thank you for, for sharing your story. And, you know, I know that that probably, you know, wasn't easy. I mean, it's never easy when we're, when we're shedding ourselves of, of, you know, the layers that we have of, of what we used to be or what we used to do. Um, but you know, in the end, it's just, we're all here to help each other. And the more that people realize that, that we can't do it without one another, that we need everybody, you know, everybody, we're all a part of each other, uh, whether people want to admit it or not, or, or, you know, fight it or not, but we're all energy. Everything around us has energy in it. And, and we are literally all connected so yeah yeah so do you there was a few people in my life that didn't understand my addiction and and they always said the wrong thing you know or made me feel so worthless you know and that never helped so i if i you know come across people that are addicted i i try really hard to just let them know that i understand and that you're not alone and there's ways out of it and your time will come but you got to be careful and you got to always keep your eye on the prize because you know if that moment that you don't have anything to live for is the moment that that drug can take you and take your life you know so i mean i 
my daughter Michelle, she was she was my my thing. I needed to get clean for her. I knew what it was like to have parents that were addicts, and it was awful. And it was, and I couldn't. I mean, I already did that to her for her like practical her whole life, and I couldn't look at her anymore without feeling that guilt. And then, and then that happened, and then that was it. And it was like, okay. And now every day, that is what I focus on, and that's that's it. That's my thing. That's there's got to be something after your addiction that you put your time, I feel like, and your energy and your motivation. You know, if you don't, I feel like you're just gonna end up relapsing if you don't have that motivation. Like, oh, what am I doing this for? Why does it matter? You know. Nobody cares about me. Try to, I always try to recommend finding something that you loved before your addiction, whether it was singing, writing, your child, you know, painting, and something, and put all your energy into that once you've become, you know, sober and keep your eye on the prize. Well, that's great advice. So I have two questions that I usually ask my guests. One of them is, do you have a book that you uh, that's helped you uh, that you can recommend to the audience? If not, that's fine. Um, or do you have a couple of podcasts that you listen to regularly that help you uh, in your journey and where you've become or where you've gotten today? Um, actually, I have never really listened to a podcast until I heard about you. So, and... No, there's not really any book that helped me or anything through it. I kind of did it on my own. So I guess no is the answer to both those questions. Well, there's no right or wrong answer to it. You know, at the, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what works for you. You know, there's, there's right. no, I mean, the, the rooms, the programs, I mean, they all have their own way. And, and for some people that works. For some people that doesn't work. I, I, I went. Right but it wasn't the main thing that got me clean. It was, you know, other stuff. Um, and you know, like I said, at the end of the day, it's just a, it's a, all a matter of what, what it takes to keep you clean and how you have to figure out how to navigate your life to kind of hack your brain. And, and, you know, it, it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of, you know, knowing yourself, knowing what your triggers are, knowing, you know, what situations you can be put in, what situations you can't be put in and trying to stay away from those situations, finding things that that, that are meaningful to you and engaging in those things. I mean, it's really all about, uh, you know, uh, compassion and care. Also, Mm -hmm. you know, just finding meaning. Everybody is searching for meaning in their life. And once we find that everything seems to change. And you have to forgive yourself, I feel like. You have to to uh, love yourself again. I mean, I know, like, everybody says that, but it's, it, I feel like it's a real thing. You know, when you are in an active addiction and you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't like what you see, you know? You don't, you don't care about yourself. And so to stay clean and sober, I feel like you have to forgive yourself for doing that to yourself, and you have to love yourself so that you can keep from doing that. All right. I don't know. That's all I got. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. Do you want to, you know, stay anonymous or do you want to put your stuff, your social media out there to, you know, if anybody want resonates with what you're talking about and want to connect with you, you know, would you be open to that or you just want to leave it the way it is? Yeah, just the way it is is fine. 
All right. Well, Amber, I appreciate your time and making, you know, the time for me to get your story out there and, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thank you for, you know, it's late over there too. So (laughs) thank you for working with my schedule. Yeah, no problem, man. This, I just, you know, we need to get these stories out to people. So anybody else that's struggling with things and there are a lot of people, there's over, you know, but three, four, seven billion people in the world. And, you know, mm-hmm. we got to try to help yeah. one at a time. Yep, exactly. Okay. All right. Have a good night, Amber. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the show and thank you to Amber for sharing your story. You know, sometimes it takes a lot of guts to be able to come out and tell your truth, but, uh, you know, I appreciate it. I definitely identified and resonated with some of the things that you were saying and some of the experiences that you had. You know, the point of this podcast is to bring you these stories and hopefully people out there that are listening and maybe struggling with some of the stuff that you listen to or hear in these stories, you know, and it helps you to get through whatever it is that you're getting through and realize that you're not alone. You know, we all go through things in life. We all have up times, we have down times, you know, everything is kind of temporary in life and cyclic. It's a never ending process. Becoming a better person is a never ending process. It's a constant reflection, you know, thinking about everything, basically. I mean, in your life and, and, you know, if you want to become a better person, because none of us is perfect. I've never met a perfect person yet. I'm definitely not perfect. I'm still dealing with some of the, the mistakes I've made, uh, in my past. To this day, I'll give you an example of something that recently happened. The best job that I ever had, one of the best jobs that I've ever had, uh, when I turned out from uh, being an apprentice, I was a journeyman for three months in my trade, and I got hired as a general foreman superintendent. So I went from being an apprentice to almost the highest position that you could possibly have as a tradesman in my union. I did that for 18 months. I was re... How do you say this? My attitude, it wasn't that my attitude was bad. How I would react to situations was very street. I hadn't learned how to curb that yet or that it you couldn't react to things in a corporate or company situation like that. Like if I didn't understand how to, which way to go with, with my emotions, anger would be the first thing that came to my mind. And I'd just be like, all right, well, you want to go outside and I'll beat your fucking ass. I mean, literally, that's how I would deal with things. And I got fired from that job laid off, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I didn't get fired for cause, but I got laid off. But I mean, it was just a nice way of being fired. And so right now I'm on the out of work list, you know, because I went to do that, uh, that whole election deal. I took three weeks off and, you know, it's the end of the year and it just all didn't really work out the way that I wanted it to. So I'm back on the list and I got a call asking if I wanted to take a job for that company. And this is, this is about two and a half years. So I figure, all right, well, enough time's gone by. I mean, it wasn't really that bad of of a situation bad bad of something that i did but they rejected it they're like no we don't we don't want him that was pretty humbling man it's like geez i'm still still dealing with some of the some of the things that i've done in my past you know that that was uh that sucked honestly it did because i'm a i'm a good journeyman i'm a good employee this company obviously has a long memory and they they just didn't want me so that was uh definitely a uh gut check for me. I was like, Oh man, that sucks. You know, cause we all want to think that we're a good person. And you know, when, when things come up that, that remind you 
of a time when you weren't such a good, when I wasn't a good person. You know, I, I, I want to forget about all those times. Sometimes it just gets brought up and you're, you're forced to look at it again. Anyway, if you want to get a hold of me, if you want to be on the show, if you want to say anything to me, uh, you can email me at nowhere to go but up now at gmail.com or you can hit me up on Instagram. That's actually the best place to find me. I am in my link tree in my bio. Uh, you can hit me all my, uh, places where you can find me are in that link tree. So my Instagram account is no at nowhere to go but up now. And I still want to do this, uh, this, uh, men's group type thing. You know, like I said, a lot of us have anger issues and, you know, we don't know how to deal with them or how to express it in a way that's healthy. And I believe that a men's group talking through some of these things and identifying with other men that have similar issues is a great way to try to mitigate some of that. And and it's free. It's not going to cost you anything. You know, you go to a men's group, you know, I know with Kaiser uh, out here in California, you know, the my, my insurance, you know, to go to a men's group, it's like 35 bucks a, a, a session. I mean, what can it hurt? You never know. You might get something out of it. And if you're interested in that, same deal. Instagram at nowhere to go, but up now go to my link tree anywhere that you want to find me. I'll be in that link tree or email me at nowhere to go, but up now at gmail.com. For the uh, jujitsu class that I took, I'm just going to give give the uh, that place a shout out. If you're in the Brentwood, California area or East Contra Costa County area in Northern California, go to Ricardo Barros Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Or you can find them on Instagram at rbarrosbjj. That is R-B-A-R-R-O-S-B-J-J on Instagram. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking to Brendan Falks. He's a health and finance coach, as well as a nutritionist and a certified personal trainer. So make sure you tune in for that episode. Until next time, keep it 100, stay true to yourself, everything else is just noise. (laughs) 